Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak, I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. How, how strong do you feel? Anyone know who this lady is? Disappointing. See, I do, I'm not asking, you know, can you deadlift 280 kilos or whatever, that Rebecca Roberts can, the Welsh wonder, Britain's strongest woman, and as of last week, the new world's strongest woman. Whoa, well done, Rebecca. No, I don't mean that. I mean, how strong do you feel spiritually? Um, how strong is your walk with the Lord? As many of us, often, even if not now, feel weak. We feel wobbly, um, in danger of, of falling over or being blown off course. We want to be strong. Um, we want to stand firm, but we don't think we're up to it. Well, here we are in the closing passage of Ephesians, uh, one that many of us will know well. Um, it's on page 1178. If you haven't got that, we're going we're gonna to look a little bit backwards and forwards through Ephesians, so do have that open. But here we are in verse 10, the bottom of the page. Finally, says Paul, and his final encouragement to his readers, to them, to us, is this. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the strength of his might. Literally, it means be empowered in the strength of his might. These, these three words, they're basically all about the same thing. Power, might, and, and, and strength. 
Now, those words for strength and might, they're only used um, twice, uh, three times in, in the whole book of Ephesians. And all three times, Paul uses all those three words together. Here in verse 10, and both the times that Paul prays. So let's quickly look, look back at those. Now we've looked back a couple of pages to chapter 1, verse 18. Paul prays that you may know, verse 19, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might. A great might is the same phrase as we just saw in chapter 6, verse 10, the, the, the strength of his might. And then um, look ahead one page over, chapter 3, verse 16. Paul prays for them to be strengthened with power so that, verse 18, you may have strength or might. Three times, all three words. Now, how did those prayers fit into the letter? So a quick recap of where we've got to. Um, In the first half of chapter one, Paul has given us that that big picture of God's plan for the whole cosmos in eternity, um, for his people to be blessed with every spiritual blessing, for everything, chapter 1, verse 10, to be united in Christ. And then, in chapter 1, verse 15, he prays. He prays that we would know him. We'd know the hope. We'd know the riches of his inheritance. We'd, we'd know his powerful, mighty strength. The strength that raised Jesus from the dead. And then in chapters 2 and 3, Paul shows how God has worked that plan out in history. How Jesus is our peace. Through his death and resurrection, he's, he's reconciled sinners to himself. He's broken down the barrier between people, Jews and Gentiles. And now we're united in Christ. And then in the middle of chapter 3, Paul prays again that God would grant us to be strengthened with power and might, to be be rooted in faith, grounded in love, filled with the fullness of God. And then from chapter 4 onwards, Paul prays, or Paul Paul urges us to live out this plan and this peace in in unity, in purity, in harmony, to, to put on the new self, to be like God, to walk in love as Christ loved us. So as we get to chapter 6, verse 10, you might expect him to pray for us again. But he's already, he's already prayed for us to live this out. He's already prayed for, for God to strengthen us in his power and might. And so, so now he calls on us to get on with it. Be strong in the Lord. Be empowered in his mighty strength. Chapter 6, verse 10 is our commissioning. We've come to the end of the letter. We know the plan. We know what Jesus has done to make it happen. We know how to live it out. So so now let's get out there and do it. Or as Paul puts it, let's be strong in the Lord, put on his armour and stand. It's all all very military language, isn't it? Obviously the armour... Um, but, but the word take up in verse 12 and 16 uh, was, was a technical term for, for the final preparations that soldiers made before a battle. So lock and load. 
And stand, the word stand was used for soldiers uh, defending a fortress or, or standing their ground on the battlefield against the enemy assault. Lock and load, hold your position, stand. And Paul tells them to stand three times. Look there in chapter 6, verse, verse 11, verse 13, verse 14. Stand. And I've got three headings. Stand against the enemy. Stand in the armour of God. Stand and fight. So our, our first heading, stand against the enemy. This is verses um, 11 and 12. Stand against the enemy. But before we get going, I don't normally do this. Um, I'd like us to watch a short video. I, I want us to get the feel for armour. Uh, for preparing to stand against the enemy, for preparing to fight. Put on the whole armour of God, says Paul, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You may not have seen the film. But King Theoden there was preparing to stand against Saruman's thousands of orcs. Now we face an enemy no less evil, no less powerful, we must prepare to stand against the devil, against the, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, orcs, orcs are a physical. Our enemy is spiritual. Orcs are fictional. Our enemy is real. But in, in 21st century Britain, it's too easy to, to write the devil off as fiction, something to scare people in horror films or just a sort of comedy red jumpsuit with horns. Surely intelligent people don't believe in a real devil and demons. But the Bible is clear. They're real. Uh, Jesus was clear. He, he met the devil. He cast out demons. He defeated them at the cross. Paul is clear here in Ephesians. If you skip back one page, chapter 4, verse uh, 27. Give no opportunity to the devil. The page before, chapter 2, verse 2. He's the prince of the power of the air. It's always a mistake 
to underestimate your enemy. It's a disaster to imagine there isn't one at all. We won't be prepared to stand and fight if we think there's nothing to stand and fight against. In the video, there was no doubt who the enemy was. An enemy that was coming to destroy everyone in their path utterly without mercy, and there was no option but to prepare for battle. But the the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. So many of our friends who who don't know Jesus imagine that the devil isn't, isn't really there, so they're not prepared. And ultimately, they'll be destroyed. And so many Christians downplay the devil. Perhaps we think... Perhaps we think these rulers and authorities that Paul's talking about here are are just metaphors for systems of power in society, for bureaucracies and government. No, those can be good things given by God for the good of us all, but which the devil can twist and corrupt uh, to abuse us. Perhaps perhaps we're nervous of of seeing the devil behind every corner, um, blaming him for anything wrong. And it's it's right we shouldn't overemphasise this. We shouldn't forget the fact that that humans are still responsible for uh, their own sin and rebellion against God. But it is really important to remember there is a war on. And there is an enemy, the devil. Which helps us remember that other people are not our enemy. Look at verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, however much Christians might be opposed hated even by those who don't know Jesus. They are not our enemy. My Muslim friends, my atheist friends, they are not my enemy. They have been deceived by the enemy. He's using them, abusing them. What does Paul say in in chapter 2, verse 2? He says, the devil is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Those, Those who are not yet Christians are not the orcs. The orcs are the demons who want to destroy humans, who want to destroy us. Because the devil is powerful and crafty. He he schemes, verse 11. Ever since he, he tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, he's tried to twist God's word and undo the blessings that God gives his people. He does it by making us doubt God and his goodness, by denying God's word. So he'll sow seeds of doubt about our peace with God. Surely you're too sinful to be at peace with God. Did God really say that you were forgiven? He'll undermine our unity as Christians by encouraging division between us, stoking up hostility, bitterness, slander. He'll tempt us not to live lives pleasing to God. He longs for those opportunities we give him. Chapter 4, verse 27, when we, when we sin, to sin more, to turn our purity into impurity, to fall back into that filthy speech or sexual immorality. He'll try to destroy the harmony of, of godly order and, and submission in our households. Perhaps he'll, he'll tell us that it's progressive and kind to reject what the Bible says about those things. So where the the Bible says, as as in chapter 5, verse 5, 
that those who are impure have no inheritance in God's kingdom, the devil will say, hey, hey, the Bible is, is wrong. It's harmful. 21st century people know better than that now. You will not surely die. But the next verse, chapter 5, verse 6, let no one deceive you uh, with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It is a terrible thing to fall for the devil's lies. It leads to destruction. And we see those lies at work in so much of our culture. In society's greed and, and materialism, in gender, in sexuality, in hatred, in war. The devil is powerful, and sometimes we think the battle is hopeless. Whenever we sin, we, we can think he's getting the upper hand. So we must stand against the enemy, but it does seem hard. So our second heading, stand in the armour of God. This is verses 13 to 17, stand in the armour of God. It looked pretty hopeless, didn't it, in that last video clip for King Theoden and his people. They despaired. So let's watch another clip with, um, with a bit more armour. The men are saying that we will not live out the night. They see that it is hopeless. This is a good sword. Halith, son of Hammer. There is always hope. this far you have not led us astray forgive me I was wrong to despair it's a good sword there's always hope it's wrong to despair and we don't need to despair when we stand against the devil because we stand in the armour of God it's good armour and, and just as our enemy isn't flesh and blood, so our armour isn't metal and leather. Our enemy is spiritual, and so is our armour. It's God's armour. It's the armour God wears. In, in Isaiah 59, um, the Lord, Yahweh, he sees injustice and no one to put it right, so he comes himself, his own arm brings salvation. And verse 17 of Isaiah 59, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He defeats his enemies and redeems his people. And Paul takes that idea and builds on it. He adds the, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. I don't think we're meant to take each piece of armor and, and work out uh, the, the spiritual significance, how, how it relates to, to that part of the body, so, you know, that salvation is especially about our head or that truth holds our trousers up. 
nor, are, I think, are we meant to think through each piece about how we can, how we can work harder at being better at, at that thing, more truthful, more righteous, more peaceful, more faithful, more, more saved. As though Paul is, is concluding his letter by telling us we just need to try harder at different virtues. It's not really about lots of little bits of armour at all. It's the whole kit and caboodle, whole armour. It's actually one word, whole armour. is one word, it's panoply. The panoply, I love the word panoply, we should use it more often. The panoply of God, the brilliant, complete armour of God. And this glittering, majestic whole armour is all that the gospel brings us. Paul's telling us that that the armour we stand firm in is the gospel, the good news of all that God has done for us in Christ, in in the working out of his eternal plan to bring everything together in him. So this list of the whole armour of God is not a a few random ideas that Paul's thrown together for for his final paragraph. He's drawing together all the threads from his letter into this climactic picture of how the working out of God's plan, the blessing of the gospel, will keep us safe. Well, let's, we'll have a look at a few examples. Um, chapter 1, verse 13, this is when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Or chapter 2, verse 8, you have been saved by faith. Chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus. Jesus is himself our peace. Chapter 3, verse 6, we're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Chapter 4, verse 21, as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 24, in true righteousness and holiness. Do you see, the the whole of Ephesians is full of the language of the armour of God because it's all about the working out of the gospel. It's all about how we are part of God's plan to unite all things in Christ, about how we can be in Christ with faith in him who is the truth, saved by the gospel, at peace with God, made righteous so that we can be righteous. So the armour isn't a, a, a list of things we need to do or try harder at. It's what Jesus already is, has already done for us. Is what he's already given us if we're in him. Twice um, in our passage in in chapter 6, Paul tells us to put on, put on the armour of God, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Last chapter, chapter 5, he told us to put, chapter 4, he told us to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Jesus is that perfect likeness of God. Putting on the new self is to put on Jesus, to, to imitate God as beloved children. In, in Galatians 3, Paul says, we have put on Christ. That's our armour. That's why we're strong even when we don't feel strong. There is a war on. The enemy is daunting. Aragorn still had to wait for Gandalf to come before their victory over the orcs. But as Isaiah promised in Isaiah 59, Jesus has come. His arm has brought salvation. He has won the victory. The cosmic battle was won when Jesus rose from the dead. 
chapter 1, verse 20, Jesus is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, total victory over the devil. And if we follow Jesus, he's raised us up with him in those heavenly places, chapter 2, verse 5. And then chapter 3, verse 10, we, the church, God's people united in Christ, are the heavenly display of that victory over the devil. The devil is defeated, but he is still fighting. One day he'll be utterly destroyed, but for a moment he's, he's still battling. So we still need to stand. And when we stand in God's armour, when we stand in Jesus, it's, it's not just a, a hope that his armour will be okay when the battle comes. It's the armour of the one who's already won. It's a guarantee we'll stand firm. My confidence is not in my own efforts or my virtues, but in Jesus and what he's done. When things are tough, when the devil still seems to have the, the upper hand in the world around us, when he seems to be winning in, in the battles each of us has with, with temptation, remember, our confidence is in Jesus. The devil, the devil will fire his flaming darts. Uh, his, the, the accusations that, that our sin makes us unfit for God, um, his, his accusation that our, our sin means that we've lost the battle to him. I, I don't know what it is you're battling against, some sin that you keep falling into. And every time you do, you feel like a failure, you feel weak. You feel that the devil might be right, that you're not really saved. And if you're, if you're here today and you're not wearing the armour of God... If you're not in Christ, if you're not following Jesus, then the devil's right. You're not saved. You're not safe. You're heading to destruction. The devil is winning. If that's you today, please put on the armor. It's the only way to stand against the devil. Come to Jesus. Repent of where you've messed up, where you've rebelled against God, where you've done the things the devil wanted you to do. And believe the good news. Trust that Jesus will save you. Because if you are in Christ, if you trust him, then because of his wonderful gospel, you are forgiven. Whatever the devil says, whatever doubts he sows, you are God's adopted child. You have all the blessings of the gospel that we read in chapter one. The devil has nothing on us. His accusations are lies. Be strong. Stand firm behind the shield of our faith in the armour of God. That's where my armour is, trusting in Jesus. And standing firm in his armour, we can fight. It's not, it's not just about protection. We're to take the battle back to the devil. So our third heading, stand and fight. This is verses 18 onwards. Stand and fight. So standing firm in our armour, strengthened in the Lord, Paul tells us, to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a good sword. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. These are the weapons we fight with, not actual swords, but with the Bible and prayer. Do you see how naturally Paul links them together? Take the Word of the God, praying at all times. And both are the work of the Holy Spirit. God's word, the Bible, is the sword of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who helps us understand it, who teaches us through it. And prayer, too, is, is in the Spirit. He, he knows what we need to pray for, even when we don't. 
And he helps us, he intercedes on our behalf. It's a spiritual battle against the devil and it's the spirit who will help us fight it with his weapons. If we're going to stand in God's armour, to stand in the gospel, we need to use the weapons God's given us. We need to pray and we need to listen to God's word. Where are we going to hear God's word? Well, we're here at Preached as we meet weekly on Sundays together as God's united people here at Christ Church. So let's make that a real priority. Let's meet together to encourage one another to live out what we hear. That's what our midweek groups are for. Um, if, you're, if you're not already part of one, do, do ask about joining. Let's take the opportunity we have to speak the truth to one another in love, to build each other up through the truths God teaches us in his words. At home, let's read the Bible in our quiet times, in our family devotions. And let's pray for each other. Uh, Let's ask others for prayer. Let's ask others what they need prayer for. Again, midweek groups offer a really good opportunity for us to get uh, to know and pray for others in our church family. Let's prioritise our prayer times at home, on our own, with our families. Let's pray big prayers and little prayers. Planned prayers, spontaneous prayers. Look, we're to, we're to pray at all times, with all prayer, with all perseverance, for all the saints, verse 18. Let's keep at it. And keep alert. Paul says keep alert, there's a war on. So here's another military term, to keep watch or keep alert. Keep alert, praying. Praying against the work of the devil, praying for the work of the gospel. And so look what Paul asks them specifically in verse 19 to pray for him, for his gospel ministry, to pray that he'd open his mouth, proclaim, declare, speak the mystery of the gospel. I think he's making a point. This is about telling people the good news of Jesus. Twice he asks for boldness. It's going to be hard. He's already under house arrest because of his preaching. It'd be easier not to bother. So he needs courage to do what he knows he should do. But we need that courage too. We can't, we can't pray for Paul now, but we can pray for our gospel ministers to speak the truth clearly and courageously to proclaim the, the whole gospel of God. Now, we're not all preachers, we're not all upfront evangelists, but we're all to speak the truth in love. We're all to tell others about Jesus. Do we feel too weak to do that? Too weak to stand, too weak to fight? Well, it's not our strength we depend on. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's won the victory. It's his armour that he gives us and he'll give us the strength to fight. We depend on God, so we, we come to him humbly in prayer, prayer that that God would give us opportunities to to reach our friends with the gospel and the boldness to take those opportunities. And so as we come to these last few verses, in verse 21, we reach the end of the letter. Paul wants to encourage his readers to keep on standing against the devil in in God's armour, taking the fight to the devil in prayer and evangelism. So perhaps that's why he tells them three times that Tychicus will, will let them know how things are going. They'll be encouraged by Paul's example, by, by the answer to their prayers for him so far, and they'll, they'll have more fuel for the prayer that Paul so eagerly wants them to pray for him. 
And then in those last two verses, 23 and 24, Paul finishes his letter where he started, with grace and peace. Back in chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we are at the end of chapter 6. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. The two big themes that are woven throughout the letter. It's all, it's all by grace. It's God's work, not ours. His plan, his eternal plan to unite everything in Christ. It's his work to do that by, by Jesus' death for us. It's his work of, of bringing peace between us and God, Jew and Gentile, one new humanity in Christ. So let's stand in this gospel. God's gospel armour is absolutely sure. So we can stand firm against anything the devil throws at us. God's gospel weapons, the Bible and prayer, in the power of the Spirit, are all we need to stand and fight. Let's, let's pray as we close. Father God, please make us strong where we feel weak. Thank you for your gospel, that by your grace we have peace with you and each other. Thank you that you have defeated the devil, that you are bringing everything together in Christ. Please help us to stand firm, trusting in Jesus and all that he's done for us. Depending on you day by day in prayer, hearing your word, obeying your word, speaking your word in love to each other and those who don't yet know you. That we as a church would grow more and more like Jesus, united in him. Amen.